Hey y'all, Cine here. Just want to give everybody a quick heads up that I'm currently sick with COVID. Um, I'm, I'm doing all right. Like, all things considered, could be much worse. But, uh, as it stands, not really sure if we're going to be getting to record that special movie episode with our guests this week. Uh, we'll hopefully get it out on time, but I can't really guarantee anything at the moment. I'm currently just trying to uh, hang in there and get this episode edited. But uh, just wanted to give everybody a heads up as to what was going on with the show. Uh, thank you as always for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. <laughs> Well, we are in the podcast. I am, I am sick. I like I'm I'm good to record. I I know I said this before, but I'm good to record. But uh, fair warning to the listeners, I am sick. So if I sound off, that is why. Also, fair warning. I didn't take a ton of notes for the <laughs> for the first episode, so I might not be interjecting a ton. There are there are a couple of bits where I definitely will be interjecting because I have to, I have questions to bring up. I mean, to be fair, there's not much to talk about in either of these episodes. Like, I realize like a good chunk of our listeners may not have listened to the last episode, and I don't blame them. The audio was not good on my end, and I'm hoping to God that Audacity actually cooperates with me this time because it seems like it is, but you never know. Um, but for, for those who didn't listen to last episode, uh, for the foreseeable future, as in until episode 138 of Bleach, uh, it's gonna be Filler Town. We're in Filler Town once again. And, you know, I, <laughs> so far it is not very good filler. <laughs> this did not need to be a four episode filler arc, that's for sure. No, it definitely didn't. And the thing is, I'm not even convinced it's over because of where your episode this week ends. I, I, I guess we should introduce the show. You're listening to It'll Wash Out, a Bleach Rewatch podcast. I'm your co-host, Senna. And I'm your co-host, Sam. Um, I'm, I'm, before we jump into the episode, uh, be, like our episode of our season six finale, or in my case, my season six finale... Ba-dumps. Boo. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, I live off your criticism. I, I, I do want to do, like, a very brief recap, just because the audio was, like, so bad last week that if people didn't listen, I want them to be able to follow what's going on. Um, and by brief recap, all you need to know um, is that uh, Hitsugaya's group, meaning... Hitsugaya, Yumichika, Ikaku, and Rangiku. Um, they found this kid named Shota, 
who was very, very argumentative, did not want to help the Soul Reapers at all, um, and refused to give them any information, basically, until, like, the very end. Um, R- Rangiku found this kid uh, fighting in a wrong car, or at least trying to fight in a wrong car. Um, said a wrong car is multiplying. Uh, there are a lot of them. They seem to be coming out when there's, like, this whistling noise. Um, Shota has been looking for his sister, Yui, uh, who is a creepy little girl who died after really horribly playing the ocarina, and she played it so badly that her parents drove into an oncoming truck uh, in in the road. (laughs) I, I wish I were joking, but that's basically how it reads. Um, all you really need to know is last, last episode, we kind of ended, uh, on the note where Rangiku, uh, and Shota find Yui at a swing set. Uh, they had found her before, but she ran away and then they found her again at a swing set in the park where Shota says he had left Yui. Um... So, to that point, we're going to jump in on episode 130, The Invisible Enemy, Hitsugaya's Merciless Decision, which is a title way too cool for this episode. It also feels like it doesn't really apply. I get what they're talking about, but whatever, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It, That's just kind of how this filler arc has been. Uh, We're right back in filler town as Hitsugaya chases down one of the Makarankar, but it comes across a frightened plus. Uh, Meanwhile, Rangiku stops Shota, telling him it's dangerous and they need to go back to safety. Shota says no and begins to walk off, and even as Rangiku offers to help find Yui, Shota refuses and says he has to protect her himself. This is all recap as Shota sees Yui on the swing set. Uh, he asks what she's doing here, and she says, Nothing. I just wanted to come to this park. Now that you're here, I'm not afraid. And then Shota admits what I just said, he admits, and he's like, Yeah, no, I left Yui here and ran. Um, we have, like, this little flashback, uh, where they got separated from their parents after death, uh, and searched for them day after day with no luck. Uh, one day, Shota woke up in the forest, and Yui was missing, he runs to find her screaming as a Makarankar reveals itself, and Shota runs, leaving Yui behind. Uh, and Yui makes the saddest attempt at running away I've ever seen as she screams for him to help. She, like, starts to run and immediately falls over. <laughs> like, literally two steps. Yeah, she's just, uh... Well, she's panicking, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I can't blame her. It's just, she sure does run two steps and then fall over. And then Shota just keeps running. The flashback fades out, and Shota beats himself up for running away. Rangiku asks what happened afterwards, and Shota says that he went back to the park, but Yui wasn't there anymore, and then the Makarankar showed up. Uh, the Rankar gives him some non-answers about Yui's whereabouts, and then that's when Rangiku showed up. Uh, so that's kind of catching us up to where we started seeing events. Shota is surprised that Yui still thinks of him as a protector, and Rangiku, like, lowers herself down, saying, It was tough, wasn't it? Shota starts crying, and Rangiku's like, I don't really know what to make of what happened, but at least you're both safe. Uh, and then she starts thinking to herself that if Shota's story is true, then you, uh, then Yui encountered the Rankar, and, and then her soul pager cu- goes off, and it cuts her off. It's Hitsugaya, and the Makarankars got away. The soul he found was too terrified to speak. Said soul begins to glow as Hitsugaya's on the phone, and suddenly there's a no- uh, suddenly there's a noise as the plus becomes a Makarankar, and we get a near-immediate flashback to Hitsugaya getting attacked by the soul turned to Rankar. Like, literally, the, the way this sequence plays out is we see Hitsugaya on the phone, we see the soul start glowing and then growing into the Arankar shape. And then we see his phone get, like, thrown on the ground. Uh, and then, after we see him actually fighting the Arankar, uh, we get a flashback, not ten seconds later, where we see the actual events of him fighting the Arankar in this scenario. 
it is it absurd is... because all they add is the animation of the Aaron car like making a punch and then you yeah. see the same clip of the phone flight it's like why did we need to see this it, it is absolutely bizarre like i yesterday when i watched this episode i like sent sam like that prosd clip that's just like filler in anime or when it, when anime is clearly padding for filler time and it's literally the moment in that where it just like flashes back to 10 seconds earlier it's it's perfect you can't make this shit up it, it's literally that um he puts two and two together uh and then figures out that the arankar is turning into souls to conceal its presence he cuts the arankar's arm off and it turns back into a plus and just runs off in a really silly sequence uh guy can't find him anymore uh and then yumichika shows up and asks if guy is all right He's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'll explain what's going on when we get back to Orihime's. And then we cut right to Orihime's. Uh, Rangiku asks if Hitsugai is alright, and he's like, yeah, I just let my guard down and I dropped my soul pager. Where's Ikaku? And Hitsugai is just told that Ikaku's keeping watch. Rangiku says there's something she's been wondering about, and she's like, something to do with the appearance of the enemy. It seems the first person to ever encounter it was Yui, which seems like a really bold assumption, frankly. I mean, at this point, well, first, I like the detail that Hitsugaya is, like, he gets, he fights the Arankar and maybe, like, a minute and a half later, Yumichika shows up, which means Rangiku actually, like, straight up went, oh shit, someone's happening, uh, something's happening, Yumichika's closest, then she pages him, hey, go get the captain. And he does. Like, it's just like, yeah. okay. Oh, yeah, these these guys are, they're a squad, they work together. It's actually, it's pretty cool. Yeah, they're, like, somewhat competent, and it, it that much is fun to watch. Like, I, I enjoy watching these guys work together. Yeah. But then we get to the point where they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, the Iron Car can turn into human souls, and also we're pretty sure Yui is the first one he met. And at this point, I'm like, I I think I'm in the wrong here. I think the show does a good job of late of showing, like, later. I think the next episode does a pretty good job of setting this up to be, like, actual, like, good stakes. But at this point in the episode, at least, I'm pointing at the, sc- at the screen going, she's the Arankar. Yeah, no. She's the Arankar. <laughs> No, at this point, the the episode becomes like this sort of comedy of errors, where we as the audience know that Yui is almost definitely the Arankar, and everybody else in the episode just hasn't gotten there yet, even though they have the information they need to kind of figure that out. And it, it it's just like, it, it gets to this point where it's like hilarious, and they keep talking around it, and it's like, guys... It's probably Yui. She's probably the Arankar. It wouldn't be so frustrating if it wasn't for the uh, the uh, the characters always going like, there's something suspicious about the timing with Yui. Yeah. Or something is weird about her spiritual presence. It's like every time I'm like, oh, they, they understand. They're just not saying it out loud because they don't want to freak Shota out. But then every time they get a new piece of information, it's like, oh, really? I'm just like, oh, okay, no, they didn't get, they didn't understand yet. They, they just haven't gotten there. Yumichika asks how Yui sur- uh, survived, and Rangiku's like, fuck if I know, she doesn't even remember. Uh, Yumichika asks what Hitsugaya thinks, and the, captor- the captain is like, I have figured something out. The Makarankar can turn into human souls. That's how they keep getting away and catching everyone off guard, and also how the Makarankar is cloning itself. Rangiku immediately, like, starts kind of being, like, cautious about Yui, and Shota, like, gets really defensive. Uh, Hitsugaya, like, begins to pull his sword out, and he attempts to perform Konso on Yui, but it fails. Yui, in quotes, claims to have no idea what they're talking about, and Hitsugaya says the Arankar has, quote, done something to her. (laughs) She's dangerous. (laughs) But they just haven't gotten there yet. So, yeah, no. We, we we get this whole segment where they're like, okay, something's up with Yui. But what could it be? We don't know what's going on. 
But uh, he's a guy at this point is like, okay, so we're going to have to contact Soul Society, have them analyze her reishi, uh, and then we get Akon and Ukitake uh, discussing the Makarankar's abilities uh, on Soul Skype. Hitsugaya says they'll find and crush the main body before things get real bad, and then Ukitake just signs off Soul Skype. Uh, Hitsugaya says they need to keep Yui within a keto barrier until they have a better idea of what's going on, and Shirta like begins to d- get real defensive again and argue, but then Rangiku explains, no, no, this is to protect Yui. We're gonna defeat the Arankar, and you just need to believe in us. Yui's like, I'm kinda scared... And then Rangiku gives her the ocarina necklace, because nothing bad has ever happened with Yui playing ocarina. Um, I have to point out here, I have to point out, Yui's a ghost. Yeah! Yeah, this and, is true. And Rangiku's like, oh, well, I'm currently in a physical body, but here's a, here's the ocarina I've been wearing around my neck for a while. The physical ocarina. Here it is. Take it. Which just makes me wonder. Remember how we were wondering if, uh, when uh, Ichigo was carrying Rukia, if people were just seeing Rukia, like, flying through the air? I'm wondering if for the next episode and a half, there's just, like, a floating ocarina that's, like, walking (laughs) around at waist level? God, I really hope so. I I want people to just see an ocarina... And wonder what the fuck's going on there, and then just stop questioning it. Uh, Yui at this point is now just like fine with being put in a barrier. Uh, Yumichika's like, okay, well, I'll go trade off with Ukaku on keeping watch, and hits a guy is like, no, I'll do it. You go to Urahara shop and tell Renji the situation. Don't let your guard down though. And then we cut to a hole in the sky as the Makarankar now appears, and now he's got, like, a fleshy face. He's He's got skin now. It's not just, like, glowing eyes. Uh, and then he says, my power is almost at its peak. Um, we get a cut to later as Shirta waits sadly outside the keto barrier as he flashes back to all the fun times he and Yui had searching for their dead parents after dying themselves. Uh, it is literally the second time we've seen this section in this episode. It is literally the same shots. It is so funny. Um, my favorite part about this section uh, of the episode is how they're like, yeah, we're going to put Yui in a keto barrier. Don't let your guard down. And the very first thing they do is they put Yui in a keto barrier and then all of them just leave the building and leave the kids alone. Rangiku's there to watch the kids, though. No, she's out getting groceries. <laughs> yeah, she she was there to watch the kids, and then she's like, how do humans do it? Latchkey parenting. Got it. And then she goes <laughs> to the grocery store. She's like, you kids will be fine on your own, and she just goes and gets groceries. It's like, come on! You, how? I, I love seeing these soul reapers be competent and this is not them being competent this is them being idiots for approximately 24 minutes you know what they even could have done what hey gee guy you here's the soul pill that has a personality and a person in it go do groceries <laughs> you're right you're so right they could have done that they could in fact, have we done have three that. of them that aren't being used and are on, aren't on screen for some reason <laughs> The Yumichika and Ikakugi guys could have went and done groceries. Absolutely bizarre. I it, it, The plot needed her out of the house. The plot needed her out of the house. That's the reason. But it's still, like, it's frustrating. It, it's so frustrating. Um, so, at, at this point, Yui wakes up, uh, and it's just her and Shota in, in Orihime's place. Uh, and she's, like, behind the keto barrier. And Shota's like, hey, did you sleep well? And Yui's like, I want to go outside. Shota's like, I can't let you out. This is a keto barrier. And then Yui's like, I want to see mom and dad. I can get out of here with your help, big brother. And she says this, like, very creepily. And then she stands up and she's like, give me your hand. And she puts her own hand against the, like, keto barrier. And Shota's like, what do you mean? Like this? And he puts his own hand to hers. And then the barrier dissipates. Yeah, at this point, Yui is just fully gone into, like, creepy horror movie little girl mode. Yeah. Which is kind of cool, 
but also it just it's like okay well now we're getting into the you know i I don't want to go too much into the hey horror movie characters don't do a stupid thing because then the plot doesn't move forward you know like yeah you know we all know that's a thing um but yeah this is kind of the feeling that the next couple of scenes gives where it's like okay well this character is clearly like possessed or a a literal demon or something it's literally that Yui just spends the next few scenes being, like, extremely creepy and obviously possessed. Uh, and Shota is just, like, too blinded by his love for his little sister that he feels so guilty about running uh, running away from instead of protecting. Uh, that he just doesn't pay attention to how weird and creepy she's being. Or he he does pay attention, kind of. He just chooses not to see it. Um. So, uh, after the barrier dissipates, Shota's confused, and Yui is just like, alright, well, we should go. Um, Akon asks if the team has uncovered anything, and one of the R&D members says, it's as we we suspected. Uh, And then we cut to Rangiku and Hitsugaya getting back to Orohime's, and the kids are gone. There's still some traces of spiritual pressure, but it's weird that the kids broke the barrier. Um... Ukitake conveniently calls them up on Soul Skype, like, as they're doing this, um, and is like, hey, we have results. is uh, like, okay, well, Rongiku, you go after the kids, I'll catch up after I hear what the, these, like, results are. Uh, so Rongiku runs off, Akon is like, okay, so get this, Yui is a clone made by the Makarankar. And she probably had strong spiritual pressure when she first ar- encountered the Arankar. So it's likely that the Arankar absorbed her pressure by chance, and then had a huge gain in power, and suddenly could multiply its clones, absorbing the power for its main body. This is how the Arankar got so strong so fast. guy is like, I don't know, the girl seemed kinda normal-ish. Uh, but he's informed that she's actually being controlled by the enemy, and it's extremely likely that it's all an act. And then the gears turn and hits a guy's head, and he's like, oh. Uh, meanwhile, Yui's out there being extremely creepy while Shota follows her. The R&D division tells Hitsugaya that if they kill the main body, Yui will disappear too. Hitsugaya's like, okay, so what does Yui's spiritual power mean in regards to Shota? And Akon's like, I mean, relatives have a possibility of having the same level of spiritual power. And he's a guy's like, oh, so that's how they broke the barrier. This makes perfect sense. Uh, and understands now that the enemy, probably after Shota, Rankiku flies through town and finds the children in the park, asking how they broke the barrier. Shota's like, I don't know, it was kind of easy. Wasn't really that big a deal. And then Yui just drops the act and is like, do not interfere, mortal. And then begins <laughs> glowing with red energy and explodes with power. And then several Arankar clones show up and Yui just stands motionless. Um, Ikaku, Yumichika, and Hitsugaya all sense the power and immediately begin to head towards the clones. And then creepy Yui waves, telling her big brother to come here. Rangiku is like, no, don't go. But Shota seems to be moving towards Yui against his will. He doesn't really fully understand what's happening. Um, Rangiku begins to cut through the Arankar clones, and Shota cries out for Yui. Suddenly, she stops glowing and pulling him in, and it's like, no, don't come near me, big brother. And then the episode ends. This bit is my favorite part of the episode. Like, because it, immedi- it immediately makes the stakes like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, she is a, she is a clone of the Makarankar, but her personality is still inside of it. And, like, her, her personhood is still, like, existing, and she can, on occasion, break out and, like, actually have a conversation. It's like, oh, that makes this, like, way more interesting. As opposed to, she's just the fucking killer clone. Like, she's a Manchurian candidate waiting to kill them all. (laughs) It's, like, something that I wish they had, like, leaned into for more of the episode. Because, like, if if they had gone this route earlier, instead of having the Soul Reapers, like, fumble around trying to figure out what the hell's up with Yui, as the audience already knows what the fuck is up with Yui, this episode would have been way more interesting. 
It would have been way cooler. Um, yeah, you keep the you keep the episode exactly the same, but all you do is when they're having their first strategy meeting, you have them go, "Oh, she's a clone of the Arankar," and also we've noticed that her pers- her actual personality still comes out, and then you keep the studying with the twelfth uh, division. You keep locking her in the box or whatever, and you just turn the goal of it into how do we make her free of this. And you yeah. can keep the rest of the episode basically the same. And it would work. <laughs> it would work, is the thing. Like, they're so... They're really close to making it a really good and interesting episode, but they just do not hit the mark at all. And that makes it very frustrating to watch. Yeah. Alas. The Curse of, Fli- of Filler. Which, you know what? The, ri- the writers, honestly, were probably working on, like, an hour's worth of sleep... Uh, because they were doing infinite anime for like several oh, yeah. years straight, so I cannot fault them too much. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like, I, I, I fully expect that the writers did what they could with what time they had and the like stress levels they were probably under. Like, I'm, I am sure they did their best, and I, I can't fault them for that. Um, what was the post credits bit this time, Sam? Uh, basically nothing. It's just reiterating the information about the various numbers we've got for the Iron Car. Yeah, it, it, it literally is just that. There's not even really a, a joke, except that, like, they're like, for example, Ulkiora's number is, and then he comes out and he's like, it's not time to reveal that yet. It hasn't been shown, so don't worry about it. And that's that's the joke. That That's all there is. I think that's just going to be the joke for all of the Arankar encyclopedia bits. Because it sure seems to have been the one for the last, like, three. (laughs) Yeah. This is true. So it's like, here's an interesting tidbit. I'm gonna tell you something else. No, that's a spoiler. It's manga only right now. Okay, fine. I guess we'll see in a year. Yeah. I don't know. I I definitely don't like... Uh, Arankar Encyclopedia, as much as I like the, uh, Radiocon Golden or whatever, or... How dare the show make me enjoy the bit with Gin less than I do the bit with Khan? Yeah, honestly. It, it's criminal. It's criminal. Um, but alas, that, that was the first episode this week for our, our season finale. Uh, kind of a meh episode, honestly. Like, the ending was cool, but, yeah. Um, we should cut to break. Let's just cut the break. Let's get right back into it with episode 131, Rangiku's Tears, The Sorrowful Parting of Brother and Sister. Sad music. Sad trombone music. Bleach sadbleachmusic.mp3 I have a note about that at the end actually thank god seeing that his sister is actually like in there somewhere Shota tries to get closer to her only to get pushed away when the main body appears Uh, the giant iron car roars Shota doesn't want to run away even as Yui screams in pain her spirit pressure getting unleashed as the main body takes control of her again in a scene that's like actually kind of metal Yui turns into another faceless iron car clone like there's it's really intense. <laughs> like, it's the coolest scene in this episode, honestly. It is, and, like, at the point I was watching this episode, it kind of felt like a fever dream. Because it was just like, oh, this is, okay, sure, this is happening. Yeah, because previously, when we see, like, the humans, uh, like, the human spirits turn into the clones, it was just like, and the, the flash of light, and now it's the clone. And then it's like, oh no, like, parts of it explode out of her body with blood. It's terrifying. Uh, and then you see her, like, get swallowed up by the flesh of the creature. It's spooky, uh, alright. But then all of the clones turn into energy and fuse back with the main body. Shota, understandably, is traumatized by this. <laughs> Just goes to show you, like, after you die, you can still get traumatized. Good to know. I'm, I'm noting this down for future reference. The iron car draws its blade and strikes down, and I really like this bit because Rangiku just, like, blocks it with one arm, and she names her squad in rank, and then she's just like, do you know who the fuck I am? <laughs> I fucking love Rangiku so much. 
She's so cool. She's really fucking cool. Um, if only the show like allowed her to be cool for more than one second at a time, because right after this, the pair jump into the air, exchange blows for a bit. The iron car's on the ropes, but then he summons a bunch of clones that go after Shota, and then he starts like taking control of the fight again. Because um, Rangiku can dispatch the clones with ease, but once they go after Shota, it's like, oh, well, the Aaron Car, like, she can't fight the Aaron Car and protect Shota at the same time, basically. Um, but Hitsugaya arrives and freezes all of the Aaron Car and all of his clones, like, all at once. Boom, boom, boom. The captain's here. He saved everyone. Uh, the hollow breaks free. Uh, <laughs> and he's just like, a, f- a-, a captain? Are you fucking kidding me? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and Toshiro's like, oh. Okay, well, if you didn't know that I was here, that means you aren't working for Aizen. Okay, thank God. <laughs> You're just a naturally <laughs> occurring disaster. Uh, Oopsie. Well, now we have the answers there. The Arnkara tries to be like, hey, if you kill me, the girl dies too. And Hitsugaya is like, get the fuck out of my way, Shota. I'm a cop. <laughs> I have to go do the cop thing. Uh, but Shota does manage to delay Hitsugaya just long enough to de- for, to let the Arnkara, like jump into... He calls it a subspace, where he's like, hidden from everyone and they can't sense his pressure and so he's just like taunting them and he's like i can create as many clones as i want from here (laughs) it's so stupid i i i i really wish this were cooler but it really is just like look how many clones i can create i'm so cool i'm the evilest rock car ever and i'm like okay bud sure you you do you i guess yeah he creates like literally hundreds of clones like just standing there in midair and then he starts bragging about how it's eaten i must emphasize basically every soul in the town like every like stray soul in the town he says he's eaten basically all of them it's one of the most preposterous claims i've heard in a rock car making this show and i had to laugh i was losing my goddamn mind well, like, it kind of makes sense because we know that there's, like, hundreds of him, like, just going around and eating souls. But it's also like, okay, but what does this mean for future filler arcs? Does that mean we're not going to have clo- uh, souls in the future filler arcs? Oh, I I'm sure it. more people will die by then. Yeah, probably. Um, the Iron Car is bragging about that and also how it's going to, like, start eating, like, living humans. And all the clones leave. Ikaku and Yumichika show up just to let us know that they were on a battle date and they were fighting hundreds of clones, and now they're going to continue being on a battle date off-screen, as God intended. <laughs> this is not their episode. It really isn't their episode. That I didn't even really think about it, but you're so right. They are really just on a battle date off-screen. Which is fine. Like, this is just... This is the episode... Like, this episode... No, This entire arc, really, knows that Ikaku and Yubichika just, like aren't part of it so they don't even pretend it's just every time they show up it's like okay we're here that's the situation all right ciao and then they leave <laughs> hitsukaya calls the tech division asking if anyone there has any ideas one of them spots like oh yeah like there there's like a signal that has to be sent to all the clones to control them so we might be able to focus on that they all start working on pinpointing exactly where it is rangiku uses this time to show us flashbacks from episode two just so that she can explain to shota Hey, killing Hollows actually allows them to move on. You've got to accept that Yui's dead, but her soul can be saved. Well, not like her actual soul, because that's also dead, but the soul that you'll have again later, you know. (laughs) You know. You know how it is. Yeah. Uh, Because let's not forget, these kids are dead. (laughs) They are very dead. And it's all because of Yui's terrible ocarina playing. Yeah, so together they swear to save Yui's life, and Hitsuka is like a are you done? Can can we go? <laughs> I just really love that, like, she just has this big moment with, Sh- with Shota, and then the camera pans to the right, and Hitsugaya just literally says, Alright, are we done here? <laughs> <laughs> we get a quick shot of Hikaku and Yumichika fighting some clones, and then we go over to Urahara's shop, where Renji and his Gigai start fighting. Like, his Gigai is fighting with a broom? <laughs> <laughs> it's... I, I, I have to state here. It, it, at first, it's Renji in his Gigai with a broom, and then he gets surrounded by clones. And without ta- like visibly taking the soul pill 
or like visibly doing anything like that. Uh, he just like splits from his gi guy and is in soul form, and then his gi guy is fighting with the broom and is just like, yeah, and it's so fucking funny. I loved this part. Yeah, like this isn't the first time we've seen Renji do this, like because he did that even um, during the uh, mod soul introduction arc. Uh, so I think the way that I'm choosing to interpret this is that Renji doesn't actually go into his Gigai like normal. He like lets the soul candy in it all the time and then he just possesses it. He like possesses the moving body. That makes sense. Kind of. Or he just perpetually keeps the candy in his mouth. <laughs> that That's funnier to me, honestly. I love that. <laughs> He's just, he just constantly has it, like, right under his tongue, and then he's like, time for action, and he swallows it. Ten out of ten. Good going, Renji. Love this guy. Aha, the 12th Division, pinpoint the Big Bad's location, and Hitsugaya says he'll blast away the Arankar's barrier with his Bankai, transforming in a way that, um, makes it clear they didn't have a ton of time to spend on the scene, and the end of season was approaching. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean, unless you want to add to it, but... No, it, it's just the animation budget for this entire episode is, like, noticeably lower than the last episode. Um, like, to the point where I was almost in shock uh, at the fact that this was the same filler arc, because it just looked that much worse. Yeah, the, uh... It is kind of noticeable. Uh, he freezes over, like, the entire river and causes a giant geyser of water. Like, he's just sitting there and charging his key uh, until his, like, spirit, his pure spirit pressure is going to break the barrier that's hiding the iron car. And meanwhile, the 12th Division is like, damn, is he good? Like, I don't know, maybe he could have asked for a spirit pressure release? Like, we can do that. Like, he could have applied for that and we could have, you know, rounded up the chain or whatever. Yeah, you know, like, the the last time they fought a Roncar, they, like, kind of needed Gente Kaijo. I'm not sure why they aren't, you know, requesting that this time, but, I mean, if they got it, they got it. The Aronkar mocks his efforts, uh, but then the whistling noise starts happening, happening again without the Aronkar, like, controlling it. And Shota is able to point out the exact space in the air that it's coming from. This lets Hitsugai use his power to just blow apart the barrier and reveal the Arankar, who immediately unleashes his blade, Dentis. <laughs> I get through the sentence with the... Sorry. <laughs> he unleashes his blade, Dentis, and turns into a bald centipede man. He looks so dumb! I'm sorry, he looks so stupid. I... I... I could not stop laughing. Like... I, I thought he looked incredibly stupid in the small sh shots that we saw of him in previous episodes. Then he actually gets revealed in this episode, and I'm like, actually, you know what? He looks kind of cool. Not, like, the greatest design, but he looks pretty cool. Uh, but then he unleashes this thing, and it's like... Because he's got that thing where um, centipede, like... Uh, centipede-flavored characters sometimes have, where they have, like, three distinct strands of hair... Like, three mm -hmm. distinct strands of golden orange hair. And it looks like the dumbest shit ever. It's um, so funny. And he's got the weird, like, centipede arms. Uh, that are just... Like, it, it's like he's got two arms that are just centipedes with legs. And it looks bad. It's really bad. Yeah, it is incredibly goofy. Um... You know, he clashes with Hitsugai a bit. His tail gets destroyed. He gets frozen to the floor. And then Rangiku readies herself for the final blow, and she takes Shota along with her in the big jump, making him hold the sword, while Yui's whistling keeps the Arankar from moving. Together, they stab his big ugly face, and all the souls the Arankar has devoured, as well as all of his clones, dissipate into the air. I do- I understand that Rangiku was like, you're gonna help me do it, we're gonna save Yui together- but it still feels like an irresponsible decision to take him into this jump. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's really, like, I like the way it looks. Uh, I do really like that he gets to do this, but it also feels like a really weird decision. Just because it's like, well, you've been saying how bad you want to save your sister. Now help the cops out and slice this demon guy. <laughs> Shota, having seen his sister's soul in the ocarina that was, like, 
it was tied to the Arankar's hair, basically. Uh, he digs and he finds it in the rubble, standing up and telling Rangiku he wants to go find his sister ASAP, asking her to perform the console ritual on him with tears in his eyes. The sorrowful bleach music starts playing as the camera pans to the golden sky of twilight, and we see the light of the ritual and a lone hell butterfly flying up, ending the episode before the actually good part of the song starts playing. It's it's such a sudden ending. I didn't even, like, I, I realized at the beginning of the episode, I was like, I'm not even convinced this filler arc is over. Um, was because the episode ends so suddenly, I didn't even process that she does perform Konso on him. Like, the last thing I remember is her hugging him, and that's it. Um, yeah, because it's she hugs him, the camera pans up, and then we see the flash of light that implies that she's doing the ritual, and then the hell butterfly that flies up is his soul turned into a butterfly by the ritual so it can fly to soul society. But if you don't remember what console looks like or what it's supposed to do from, like, episode 5 or whatever... <laughs> <laughs> like yeah you're not gonna you might not catch the the thing yeah no i was like oh are we just gonna end this episode here on like kind of a cliffhanger what's happening here but no i guess this filler arc is over and i i guess that makes more sense considering the next episode after this is literally titled hitsugaya karin and soccer ball yeah the next couple of episodes all have like the name of a care of one of the uh shinigami in it so i think we're just getting like a series of here's this person's this person's focused filler episode this person's focused filler episode and you know maybe it'll be cool we like yeah. these characters so maybe more focus on them will be fun like i i think seeing hitsugaya play soccer might be fun i like i'm hoping so um before we get on to like season overview stuff um what's the uh post-credits bit this time sam the post-credits is that the Visored are all having Korean barbecue, and Ichigo is just all like, we can't be eating meat, the town's in danger, and then he starts rushing off, but they're just like, um, god, you're slow and you suck, the situation's already dealt with, you're just feeling the aftershocks. Like, if you were better at feeling spirit pressure, maybe you could have gone and helped them. But you can't. You suck. Like, it, it got, like... A giggle out of me, but that's about it. I I I rate it like a six out of ten. I also feel it's uh, it's my responsibility to paste this picture of the like most popular character of Inazuma Eleven. He's like, he's basically the Sasuke of the of the show. He's the <laughs> really cool guy who has to like disappear for a while and then comes back, and he's the one that's like full of uh, of confidence and inspires everyone else to be their best. Um. Anyways, he's oh. Hitsugaya, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, that's that's just Hitsugaya, but younger. But the fun bit is, he has fire powers. Oh. Okay. Alright. All right. Is uh, it Inazuma the, uh, 11, like, a uh, soccer show or something? Or what? what is Inazuma 11? I have no idea what the show is. Oh yeah, it's a soccer show. Okay. But, but also, this is the kind of soccer they play. Okay, well, I'm immediately more interested in this show. I want to see this little boy play soccer. For those for those wondering, <laughs> when I say this, uh, if you go in Discord and you just type Inazuma, you're going to get these gifts. Uh, the one in particular that I'm pointing at is this character jumping up in a spiral of fire and then kicking the ball covered in like streaks of flame. Because his personal move is called Fire Tornado. <laughs> I adore this. Inazuma uh, Eleven I, I wanna, is wild. <laughs> I want a Bleach spinoff anime where they all just play soccer. That's what I want. Um, God. Uh, so I I want to do a brief like season overview. Um, like I'll be honest, I don't really remember specific episodes. Uh, so like when I say favorite episode, it's kind of like. What, what was your favorite, like, miniature arc within this bigger arc, you know? Like, what what was your favorite part, Sam? I think as far as, like, season overview, it would be fine to keep until the end of, uh... Until the end of uh, next season, because the seasons are literally Arankar Part 1, Arankar Part 2, right? That, that makes sense. But... 
But as far as like the, um, or rather, it's Arankar the Appearance Part 1. And then the next one is just Arankar Part 2. It has another bit, but I think that's like men- talking about is more of a spoiler. Yeah, um, like if you look up the name of the next arc, it is kind of a spoiler. It and like it is worth noting, like they are separate arcs. But Sam was kind of mentioning before we sat down to record that like this really is just kind of one season split into two parts. Um, so like while we could sit here and be like, yeah, no, here's what happened this season. Here's our favorite parts. Like it, it, it does kind of make more sense to just wait until the end of next season. Yeah, but we did have some good ep- like we. I think both of us really liked the episode where Ishin shows up as a as a Shingami and cuts down Ooh, yeah. Grand Fisher. But also Ikaku's Bankai. <laughs> Ikaku's those those are the two that stick out to me. Yes, um, I I I. I in particular, am very fond of the Ashian episode because at that point we had just kind of convinced ourselves that like the bound arcs weren't that bad, and then we get to that and we're like, oh, Bleach is good actually. <laughs> oh right, oh right, Bleach can Bleach is good. Like th- it's not that those episodes were bad because you know we found a way to enjoy them and we had fun yeah. going through them, but then it's like, oh, this is like a different show. <laughs> Bleach has come back from the war. Bleach has come back from the war, and it is stronger for it. Uh, But yeah, no, those are the two big parts that do really stick out to me. I did really enjoy seeing Ichigo train with the Visored. I wish we had more of that. Um, But uh, alas, we are are in filler town once again for the next few weeks. Uh, Except next week, uh, which I guess you could kind of clarify it. as as filler you could qualify it as filler but um next week we are watching the first movie uh which is memories of nobody uh and that is going to be a time because apparently it's canon um so we're, we're gonna watch the first movie we're gonna have a guest on uh it's gonna be a fun time uh, I'm not entirely certain of what the structure of that episode is going to be yet like I might take notes uh, but I, I haven't really decided yet, and that's something we can work off, work out off call. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's what's happening next week, is we are watching the first movie. Um, we didn't receive any questions in this time, which totally cool, but uh, if you want to send in questions for the movie next time, uh, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be specifically for the movie, it can just be about Bleach in general, what we've seen so far, like... Uh, you can go ahead and send those questions in to iwobleachcast at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and other than that, I think we should just close out the show by saying uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Bleachcast, and you can find me on Twitter at Lavender underscore pause. You can find me on Twitter at SSBSLJ, and I do want to mention the Aaron Carr throughout this entire four episodes doesn't have a fucking name. He's literally just called the cloning Aaron Carr on the wiki. But his voice actor. His voice actor is Masuo Amada. And I bring this up because I have to mention he dubs over Jamie Foxx in Jarhead and Miami Vice. He dubs over oh. Danny Trejo in Triple X and Cross Wars. And most importantly, he's Jack's voice actor <laughs> in all of the Final Fantasy stuff. Oh my god. Holy shit. This blows things wide open. Holy crap. Alright. Um, well, on that note, thank you as always for listening. Uh, hopefully this episode will not have the audio problems present last time. Uh, I'm hoping to God that Audacity cooperates with me. Um, I hope y'all have a nice week. Stay cool, chats. That'll have to wait for the time being. Yeah! Thanks. Thank you. This is the one I needed. This is exactly what I was hoping you would do.
しまう